Morning, everyone. Sorry. Oh, this always happens. Somebody help me. Uh. <laughs> How's everyone doing? Can I ask you to please move to the middle? If you're sitting and there's chairs next to you in the middle, do you mind shifting in? There's some people still looking for a, a chair or two. So if there's some chairs, just shift. There's a couple of chairs on the side there that you can kind of get to. Some chairs right in front. I mean, hey, that's what happens when you're late. <laughs> I'll stand back so I don't spit on you too much. <clears throat> no one can. <laughs> uh, um, I know, quickly, little family moment for us before I get into today's message. I know I don't have a lot of time, but I know a lot of you prayed for my, my parents-in-law, my mom and dad, Heidi's parents. They had a bad car accident while they're here today. There's uh, Johan and Michelle. Johan won't do dance. He's still a bit tender. But good to have you guys with us and glad that everything's getting better. Yay. And of course, Heidi's sister's also here at Coral. So great to have family around. I'm sure many of you have got the same. Okay, it's good to be together. Um, Easter Friday, what a fantastic, exciting time. Biggest moments in the Christian calendar this beautiful weekend. And like Nick said, we've got the kids with us. Um, so let me just say to the kids, normally when you go off to Kids Rock or to Ignite or whatever you do over at Frequency, the high school ministry, this is what we do when you guys are gone. I mean, some of you do stay in during the singing time, but really what moms and dads do is, is the same as you, except without the games and the fun, and I get to talk a lot longer than your teachers do. So that's what it's like to be in here today with moms and dads. But uh, I'm going to do my very best to speak in less than 30 minutes, 30 minutes or less. I mean, I know what you're thinking, possible, but yeah, you can start to stopwatch. I'm going to do my very best. Let me ask the kids quickly, you can just shout out, what is so special about the Easter weekend? Can't hear anything yet. Just shout. Any idea? What's, why Easter? Why, what are we celebrating on Easter? Jesus died on the cross, yeah. Anything else? Sorry? And he rose from the dead? Yo, whose kid is that? <laughs> and the Easter eggs? I mean, hey, no Easter eggs. No one looking forward to Easter eggs? We are in church, so the Easter eggs you're not allowed to talk about, I think. Eh? I mean, I think Easter is about celebrating the life and the resurrection of Jesus, the fact that Jesus was dead and he came alive again. And that is exciting, but it is true that Easter is about eggs and chocolate and celebration. I mean, so much of Easter, our kids are looking forward to that moment. And I think it's true to say that sometimes the whole reason behind Easter gets a little fuzzy in our hearts and our minds, you know. It's, it's about a Jesus, it's about eggs, it's also a long weekend. Maybe if you're in high school, it's like some time of school. If you normally go away, it's a brilliant time to get away. There's short weeks brilliant time to take leave. And so Easter can get a little bit fuzzy, even in the minds of adults. And I think, I don't know about you, but sometimes Easter comes so quickly. It's like, it's like you don't even realize that, oh my gosh, it's Easter already. And I haven't, you haven't even really thought about the weekend. You haven't thought about what does this mean? What does this represent? Why is it that we're coming together to celebrate so much? 
And then, and then also I think Easter Sunday, it's like, it's, it's a bit clearer, like, why are we celebrating? You know, Easter, Jesus rose again from the dead. You know, it's celebration. It's a high moment. It's victory. I'm all exciting. I think that's pretty clear. But sometimes when it comes to crucifixion Friday, day that Jesus was hung on the cross and died, I think sometimes we're a little less clear on why exactly are we coming to church on Friday? I mean, is it just a precursor to Sunday? Is it just setting up Sunday? Or is there anything specifically meaningful about the death of Jesus that we can celebrate, you know, in, in kind of on its own? And that's, that's what I want to do today. I want us to look at this, the day that Jesus was crucified, the day that he was hung on the cross to die. And I want to point us to three things coming out of the, the book of Luke. As, as Nick mentioned, we're in the book of Luke I want to speak about three things that help us to really focus on the beauty of Good Friday, the beauty of the day Jesus was crucified. So when you focus in on Luke chapter 23, I'm going to look at verse 32 to 49. And in these, in these verses, the three things we're going to focus on is on the three times Jesus spoke on the cross that's recorded for us in the gospel of Luke. Some trivia for you to use sometime. Did you know that in the Bible, it's recorded, there's six times that Jesus speaks while on the cross. And three of those are recorded for us right here in the book of Luke. And so we're going to use those to focus us this morning. So before I read, it goes a bit wonky. If you've been around on this day, if you, if you had been around on this day recorded for us in Luke chapter 23, this is what you would have seen. This is what you would have experienced. You would have experienced an absolute travesty of justice. It would have been one of the most unjust, one of the most unfair moments, surely in the history of the world. I mean, you've got Pilate, who's like kind of in charge of a certain region. You've got Herod, who's the king. And these guys find no fault in Jesus. They, they, they say, we, we find no reason to kill this guy. We find no reason to, to crucify Jesus. But the crowd is being stirred up. They're being stirred up into this like crazy mob by, by some Jews who, who hate Jesus, who hates what he stands for and hate what he's speaking about. And they're calling him someone who's a blasphemer, someone who's speaking badly about who God is. And so they're demanding that he gets crucified. And so although he's innocent, there's this flow of this angry mob who just wants to see Jesus crucified. And, and it's just so unfair Jesus doesn't deserve to die. And Pilate, in a moment of weak leadership, gives in to the crowd. It gets so bad that even there's, a, there's this man called Barabbas. And, the, and Pilate says to the crowd, you know, you choose. We can set free someone, you know, either Barabbas or Jesus. And it gets so bad that they choose Barabbas to be freed. I mean, this guy's a murderer. He's a rioter. He's a troublemaker. He's always stirring up trouble between the Jews and the Romans. But they choose. We want, we'd rather see this murderer grow free than Jesus. I mean, this is an absolute devastating moment. And if you had been there, you would have seen Jesus despised like a criminal, beaten, mocked, abused. I mean, can you imagine this moment? God himself. I mean, Jesus, God himself, mishandled, mistreated, and murdered by the very people he gave life to, by the very people that he loves and continues to love. I mean, this must be one of the darkest days in all of human history. 
one of the most sinful, devastating days that have ever been lived. So let's read together. Chapter, uh, verse 32. It says, two other men, both criminals, so bad people who had done bad things and that were caught, they were led out with him to be executed or put to death when they came to the place called the Skull. So, I mean, you get the idea, right? This is not a friendly space unless you're a pirate. Then you love it. <laughs> there they crucified. They put nails through his hands and his feet and they hung him on a wooden cross along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. They spoke to him like he was nothing with anger. They said, he saved others, let him save himself. If he is Christ the God, if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They made fun of him. They offered him wine, vinegar, and said, if you are king of the Jews, save yourself. There was written a notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. Did you see how they were mocking him, the king of the Jews being crucified? One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth today. You will be with me in paradise. I mean, this is the very best place that you can imagine, paradise. It was now about the sixth hour, and darkness came over the whole land. Can you imagine just darkness coming over the whole land? This is around midday. Load shedding. <laughs> we can't imagine. <laughs> For the sun stopped shining. Not even Eskom can pull that off. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he said this, he breathed his last. In other words, he died. The centurion, or the soldier in charge, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous or an innocent man. When all the people who had gathered to witness the sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the woman who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watched, watching these things. Okay, so I said to you this morning, what I want to do is I want to bring some fresh clarity to the significance and the importance of the death of Jesus by looking at the three times Jesus speaks while on the cross recorded in Luke. So here, here we go. The first significant thing in the death of Jesus is that forgiveness is released. I mean, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. I mean, these words are actually quite startling if you reflect on them. You look at them from the side of those that Jesus is speaking to. They're in the middle of the biggest tragedy that this world has ever known. I mean, it's the biggest injustice. It's the biggest sin that's ever been committed, and they don't even know it. They're completely unaware of what they're doing. We can learn something about sin. We can learn something about the nature of sin and ourselves. The truth is that we can't trust in our own feelings of what's right and wrong. I mean, sometimes we can be sinning 
and not even know it, not even be aware of it. Our sense of right and wrong, our moral compass, what we think is right and wrong, what we think is sin or not sin, may not actually be reality. There might actually be a measure beyond what we know, beyond what we understand. I mean, sin is, after all, missing the mark. What, what, missing what mark? Missing the mark of the perfection of God, of God's original intent for humanity, of how we ought to live, how we ought to relate to Him, how we ought to relate to the world around us, how we re relate to each other. When we miss the mark of God's original design for the world, we sin. And hey, we might do those things and not even realize that this is sin. And so there's a humility that needs to come into our lives. Say, so, hey man, we, sometimes we might not even know what we're doing because culture isn't an accurate master for teaching us what truly is right or wrong. And then, and then while all this is going on, in all its ugliness, Jesus expresses love. It's incredible. And here's the challenge for us as Christ followers. Something we learn about, about ourselves and Jesus on this day is that, that Christ followers ought to be amongst the most empathetic and forgiving people that this world has ever seen. You know, people can do us harm. Things can do us harm. But as Christ followers, we understand the nature of sin. We understand the destructive nature of sin. We understand that we're all enslaved to sin at one time. And that those who are learning to be more like Jesus are those who, in their understanding of the true reality of things, can extend forgiveness, can extend kindness to those even when they wrong us. So there's a challenge there for us. Remember, none of these people are remorseful, by the way. You just see that. None of them are repenting or saying they're sorry or trying to do something different. None of them feel bad about what's going on. No one is trying to make things right. But in the midst of all that hostility and all that's just going on, Jesus nonetheless extends this forgiveness. He releases it into the world. He prays for them. He prays to God on their behalf. I mean, this is good news for us. He, Jesus prays for them, but he also prays for us. You know, even while we're lost in our sin, even while we ignore God, even while we aren't living according to his design and his intentions, he's always moving toward us. He's praying for us. He's taking steps toward us. He's calling us to himself. He first loved us. I would be praying for their destruction. <laughs> I would be praying, God, take them down for what they're doing. But no, he prays for their forgiveness. And here's what's truly significant. In the short prayer, Jesus builds a bridge. This prayer of releasing forgiveness, he builds a bridge. It's a bridge of forgiveness that those who are sinning against him can walk over when they realize their sin and they turn to God and ask for forgiveness and desire to live in a different way. Jesus has made it possible extending forgiveness for them to one day move toward him, having experienced that forgiveness. But here's another very significant thing, is that in extending forgiveness to them, Jesus is isolating himself under the wrath of God. This is the anger of God. This is how God should feel angry because of sin. I mean, Jesus understands that at the moment that he's being crucified, that sin is finding its greatest fulfillment. That this is sin's highest moment. 
that God's wrath is being poured out on the earth, on humanity, because of sin, because of its destruction, because of the decay it brings into the world, because of its disruption to His design, the hurt, the turmoil, the brokenness, the pain that sin has brought into our lives and into creation. In this moment, it's all finding it as God is wrath. His anger at sin is being poured out on humanity. And knowing all this, Jesus says to the Father, Father, let them off the hook. Father, forgive them, rather punish me. It's what he's doing in those moments. Instead of pouring out your wrath on them, pour it out on me. Let me be the lightning rod that takes that hit of lightning, the hits of your wrath upon humanity so they don't have to experience them. He says, Father, forgive them. Now, who is the them? I mean, he's not only praying for those around him who in this moment, you know, are needing forgiveness for what they're doing, but he's also thinking of us. Because when God's wrath was being poured out on that day, when sin was at its, the very height of its power and was doing what the, what the evil one had hoped it would do to release the wrath of God on humanity and destroy creation, Jesus at that moment speaks for all humanity and says, forgive them. He releases forgiveness into the world, onto humanity in the most powerful and sobering way. And so this Good Friday... I mean, as we share in communion later, we celebrate that God has built a bridge of forgiveness through those words he spoke on the cross that we can find our way back to him. I mean, this is at the heart of the good news. So the second significant thing we observe through the words of Jesus is that heaven is opened. So forgiveness is released and then heaven is opened. I'll tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. So Jesus is speaking to, who's he speaking to? He's speaking to one of the criminals. Some more trivia for you in case you don't know this, is that tradition says that the forgiven criminal is on Jesus' right-hand side. So if you look at a, at a traditional painting or picture of Jesus, you'll notice that his head is always slightly tilted to the right or pointing to the right or just ever so slightly. I didn't know this before, but I discovered it. It's, it's a cool thing to realize. Now, I don't know if that's exactly true or not, but let's just go with it. On his left-hand side, you've got the, this criminal who's in the very last hours of his life. And they're not going to be good hours. He, he's crucified. They're going to be hours of agony. He's, he's lost. He's without hope. And he's raging at God in anger. You know, sometimes when we experience the lowest points of our life, we can end up raging against God. On the right-hand side, you see something different. You see this man who's faced with his guilt. And in, and in his impending death, he reflects on his life. And he reflects on true reality. And there's a humility that comes over his life. You know, maybe it was since he received the death sentence, he, he realized, I've never thought about eternity. I've never thought about death. I've never thought about what's going to happen. And there's this humility and this reflection that comes onto his life. You know, he hasn't planned for this. I mean, this is not a good man. You don't get crucified because, you know, you did some petty crime or you, you know, you took some money out of the, the petty cash uh, kitty. This is a man who's done bad things. And he's hearing this other criminal rage against God in anger and, and he takes on a different posture. He asks God for mercy. And in those moments, he's snatched from the jaws of hell into the arms of of his loving Savior, Jesus. 
I want to read it because there's actually this beautiful picture of salvation. Verse 40, it says, but the other criminal rebuked him. This is the one in his right. He says, don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. What you're seeing in this criminal, who's not a good man by any means, he, something's changed. He's beginning to fear God. He's beginning to fear God. He's beginning to realize that the Father who created me, I have to stand before one day. I have to give an account for my life one day. And this, this fear of God comes upon him life. And you can hear that in his words. It's, he says, we are punished justly, verse 41, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. This man, he recognizes that he is guilty, that he has sinned, that he deserves to die. Verse 42, he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He recognizes that Jesus is Lord. He recognizes that Jesus has a kingdom, therefore he is a king. And finally, he asks Jesus, forgive me. You pull these four things together, and, and what you see in this criminal that experiences the opening of heaven is that he begins to fear God. Reflects in his life, begins to fear God. He recognizes his sinful condition. He recognizes that not all is well with him. That actually there's more to life than what he's potentially thought of. He acknowledges that Jesus is in fact Lord. That there is a creator. That he is king, that he is sovereign. And then he asks Jesus to forgive him. I mean, can you see the beautiful picture here of salvation? Coming into salvation this beautiful picture of God's grace, how God extends grace to us and can turn a heart between then and when he dies. I mean, he can't go around doing good works. Why? Because his hands are nailed to the cross. It's not like he's going to go out and walk in a better way of life and make up for some of the things. There's no walking. His feet are nailed to the cross. I mean, there's no turning over a new leaf. There's no living a better life. There's no making up for what's gone before. No, no, this is pure grace. Death is only hours away. And yet heaven is opened to this man by pure grace. Heaven is open to us, not on the basis to humanity, not on the basis of what we've done for Jesus, but only because of what Jesus has done for us. I mean, this is the gospel. This is what we remember on Good Friday. Titus 2, it says he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his great mercy. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works that no one can boast. God, salvation is by grace alone. That means God's moving towards us at the expense of Jesus, at the price of Jesus paying on the cross not because of anything we deserve or anything we've done. It's by faith alone. It's by trusting in God's activity. It's by trusting in the death of Jesus that we experience salvation, and it's given by Jesus Christ alone. So in Jesus' death today, as we sing, as we go into communion, we're celebrating that on the cross, forgiveness is released into the world, that heaven is opened, and finally, we recognize that in the death of Jesus, death is destroyed. Now, I know when we think of death is destroyed, we think normally of Resurrection Sunday, and certainly Resurrection Sunday is the day that death is, you know, through the resurrection of Jesus, we can see that death is fully and finally done away with, that it's the first fruits of our, our, our own resurrection that will come 
after we've passed away. But stick with me here. There's something about what happens on the cross that shows us that death is destroyed. It says, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Now follow this with me. You know, Mark tells us in the Gospel of Mark that Jesus was crucified at about 9 o'clock in the morning. So at 9 o'clock in the morning, it's when he speaks these words, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. 9 a.m., just earlier than what we gathered. And you can see he's speaking directly to the Father. He's saying, Father, forgive them. But then here in Luke 24, you see again, he's speaking directly to the Father. He says, Father, into your hands I come spirit. There's this, the, the language of Father, there's an intimacy there. But what happens in between these two moments? Well, we read at, at midday that this darkness comes over the earth. Something significant is happening here. Something supernatural, something otherworldly, that, that nature itself is responding to what's happening on the cross in those moments. And the Bible tells us exactly what's happening in those moments. Peter describes it like this. He says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to, sin, to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Paul says it like this. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Isaiah said, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way and the Lord has laid on him, on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. As this darkness covers the land, we know exactly what's happening. Our sin has been placed on Jesus. The darkest hour, sin's finest moment, poured out fully on Jesus and nature itself reacts. Now, the one thing you'll know about the Luke as he writes his account of the cross, that he goes to extra lengths to show us that Jesus is innocent. I mean, Herod and Pilate think he's innocent. The criminal on his right thinks he's innocent. The centurion after his death thinks he's innocent. All the people who witnessed these things as they walked away, beating their chest, recognized that he was in fact innocent. I mean, Luke wants us to know that in this innocence, but at the same time, this darkness that covered the land, there's something happening here that Jesus, undeserving of our sin, takes it all upon himself. And then at 3 p.m., so 9 o'clock, he was crucified. At noonday, this darkness comes over the world. And then at 3 in the afternoon, Jesus finally dies. So sometimes between 9 and 12 this interaction with the criminal happened. And then between 12 and 3, this darkness, our, our sin was laid on Jesus. Between 12 and 3, Jesus was conquering or overcoming the ultimate outcome of our sin, which is death, separation from God. He took upon himself the wrath of God. In these hours, between 12 and 3, Jesus endured hell so that we didn't have to, separation from God. He, he experienced separation from the comfort of knowing the one he had spent eternity with, the comfort of his nearness. That's why in this time he cries out in Mark, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See the change in language, it's not Father, it's my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Something's happened. That as the sin has been poured out on Jesus, the separation has been gone. This, this intimacy has been lost. 
God's divine wrath spent on Jesus. His anger satisfied. The perfect and acceptable payment for sin has been made. And we note that that payment was acceptable because we read in these words, it goes from, Father, forgive them, to, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Back to intimacy. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. We see that despite our sins being poured out on Jesus, death has been destroyed, and Jesus returns to this intimate language of speaking again to his Father that he's been reunited with. Death has been destroyed. Now think about this for a moment. I know this might be a weird thing, but if you've ever been around someone who's, who's dying or near death or even passes away, you'll know that, that they never ever speak loudly. That as death comes to take someone, there's a, there's a quietness, that the voice is feeble, the voice is weak, it's a whisper, if you can even make sense of it at all. Yet the scriptures say Jesus shouts these words, into your hands I commit my spirit. What about John 10, 18? Jesus says, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. Speaking about his life. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. Jesus shouts because death did not come to take Jesus away. Jesus came to death. He gave himself to death so that death could be destroyed. And as we sing and as we take communion, we remember that death did not take him he gave himself to death for us. Death can be scary. It can be a scary thing to think about. Pray those same words that Jesus did. Into your hands I commit my spirit. And death turns from being scary to something beautiful. So the significance of Jesus is death. Forgiveness is released. Heaven is open. Death is destroyed. So let me land with these closing thoughts. Can you see how much you're loved? Can you see by the words Jesus spoke on the cross how much you love, that he would do all this, endure all this for you? I mean, the Bible says we know it to be true that there's no greater love than has a man than to lay down his friend, his life for another. It says while we were still sinners, unconcerned about God, he died for us. You've heard this verse John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. If you can put those, those three truths back on. The truth is that, that these things don't apply to every person. You know, think of the criminals on the cross. The criminal for whom these things became true had to respond in faith to God had to extend faith, had to believe that God, and they've had to ask him for forgiveness, ask him to extend mercy towards them. We have to believe, and the invitation for you today, if you haven't yet, is to believe that on the cross, Jesus did, uh, didn't only take on himself the sins of the world, but he took my sin, and he took your sin upon himself, so that you don't have to experience the wrath of God, that he could have experienced it for you. My prayer for you this whole week, leading up to today, that if you haven't, don't yet know the saving power of God, that even right now, that even as we sing, as we take communion, that you yourself would turn in humility to God and say, you are God, you are Lord, I have sinned, forgive me. 
and that these truths can become true of you. Romans 10 says this, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the Scriptures say, anyone who trusts in Him will never be put to shame. Amen. We're going to go into communion now, because that was, that was 30 minutes, 31 minutes, not bad. Can I ask the band to come up? Thank you so much. Why don't you stand where you are for a moment and... You can grab your, um, wafer is in the, in the lid as you open it and the juice is there. Don't have to open it right now. Yeah. Um, can you put on those three trees for me, please, Bronwyn? So let me read to the significance of Communion. We're about to go into singing, but I want us to take a moment to personally reflect on this Crucifixion Friday. This is from Luke 22. It says, This cup, says Jesus, is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And as we share in communion now, why don't we celebrate these three truths that are represented right here. Celebrate them not only intellectually, not only because they're true, but because they're true for you. They've transformed your life in incredible ways. So as you take that wafer, why don't we eat that wafer together right now? as you get ready to, to drink the juice representing his blood, let me just say to you, maybe you're not yet a Christ follower. Maybe you've never yet placed your faith in Christ. I want to I give you that opportunity to do it now. But actually, as we drink this wafer and we drink this blood, it's, it's us remembering the sacrifice of Jesus and it's us taking it for ourselves, taking hold of it for ourselves. And if you haven't ever yet taken hold of the sacrifice of Jesus, God, you are God. I recognize that you are the one who made us, that you are sovereign. And you recognize your sin. You say, God, I have sinned. I have fallen short. I have ignored you. I have raged against you. I've forgotten you. I've lived my own way. I've gone my own way. I've done my own things. Can you say, but I recognize that you are king. I recognize that you have authority over my life, that you have authority over this world, that your kingdom never ends. And then you can simply pray, have mercy on me. And as you pray those words, salvation is yours.
by the grace of God. You don't have to turn over a new leaf. You don't have to earn it. It's a gift, God's gift at the expense of Jesus. So as we drink this juice together, let's celebrate that and celebrate our own salvation. Let's do it together. The hope of today is that as our hearts and minds are filled with the truth of God, that we will worship with fresh vigor and fresh celebration and fresh excitement. So I want to call us to worship. And I want to start off this time of worship by just giving us a time of prayer. So let the band play a little bit. You're right where you are. Just begin to pray and thank God for this Good Friday. Thank you that forgiveness is released. Heaven is open. Death is destroyed. We love you, God. Pray right now where you are. We love you, God. We thank you. Thank you that you love not only the world, but that you've chosen to love me. You've given me new life. Worship God right where you are.